Hello and welcome to the April 2009 podcast for the Lancet Oncology. Richard Lane here and this month I'm joined by Rob Briley from TLO. Welcome Rob. We're going to cover two research articles that have already gained quite a bit of media attention when they were published online last week and the week before. Let's kick off with the article and we should say this month semi-apologetically. It's fairly UK domestic this month in terms of the issues we're discussing. But let's start with the research article, which is looking at cancer survival in England specifically, Rob. This was published, wasn't it, a week ago. Can you just briefly summarise this article? It's by Coleman and colleagues, isn't it? This paper by Michelle Coleman and colleagues um, examines trends in cancer survival in England and Wales since 1996, a year after the Kalman hein report recommended strategic improvements in cancer services in both countries. This paper is the first serious attempt to determine how the NHS Cancer Plan for England, which was introduced in 2000, is performing in terms of effectiveness. Why was this cancer plan set up and what are its targets? The cancer plan was published because it was widely perceived that uh, improvements in cancer services since the Kalman hein report had been inadequate, with cancer survival in the UK lagging behind that in the rest of Europe. One of the main targets of the plan was that by 2010, five-year survival rates for cancer in the UK would compare with the best in Europe. How much data are we looking at here? And how is England doing in terms of progress with previous data compared with other European countries as well? This particular study uses the latest data available on cancer survival in England, which were released by the Office of National Statistics on March the 20th this year. They cover the years leading up to the introduction of the cancer plan and the six years after, so in theory, providing sufficient time for the plan's effects on survival to have become apparent. The data suggests that, on the whole, there have been improvements in many, although not all, of the cancers assessed here, both in England and Wales. Improvements in Wales seem to have been faster than in England in two of the time periods covered, that's between 1996 and the year 2000, and from 2001 to 2003, with England improving more between 2004 and 2006. Given that there wasn't a comparable plan in Wales until 2006, and that the improvements in both countries are very similar, one has to wonder whether the improvements in England are due to general improvements in treatment, screening and awareness, rather than the cancer plan itself. It is harder to assess how we're doing in comparison with the rest of Europe, since direct comparisons with other European countries can't be made at this stage. Nonetheless, and while bearing in mind the drawbacks associated with extrapolating from the available data, it does seem that we're at best keeping track with the improvements in survival rather than closing the gap. And I see you've got a a comment um, by Mike Richards. What's his view on the Coleman article? Professor Richards, the National Cancer Director for England, suggests that survival shouldn't be the only metric taken into account when assessing any cancer control strategy, since no single measure of outcome can accurately reflect all parts of the plan. He also highlights that, although no formal cancer plan was adopted in Wales until 2006, Efforts to address the issues raised by the Kalman Hine report got underway in Wales in 1996. Thus, the data presented by Coleman and colleagues could be interpreted as being the result of Wales moving faster to implement changes, and then England catching up and slowly overtaking at a later stage after the introduction of the Cancer Plan for England. I see. And what about um, Carol Sikora's view? I see he's also published and commenting on this Coleman report. Professor Sikora highlights the fact that, while welcome, the improvements in survival are not striking, particularly in light of the huge amounts of resources thrown into the system by the Cancer Plan. He also points out that there are still great regional disparities in survival for common tumours, while relatively rare tumours that require complex treatment regimens show excellent outcomes. He suggests that these findings imply that there's nothing wrong with the actual skills of oncologists in the UK, but rather that more systemic problems within the NHS are hindering progress, and that radical changes are needed for service delivery in this country. Thanks very much, Rob. And moving on to another research article, which was picked up quite widely in the media when we published it online a couple of weeks ago. And this 
concerns the potential for ovarian cancer screening. Again, this is a UK-based study. Rob, before we go into the details, can you just give us a little bit of background on ovarian cancer? What, in broad terms, are survival chances like for women who get this form of cancer? Ovarian cancer is often not caught until a very late stage because it presents few or very late symptoms. As a result, it has a very high mortality rate. For instance, with stage 3 ovarian cancer, five-year survival is around 27%, and for stage 4, about 16%. And Rob, what was the actual aim of this randomised trial? The UK collaborative trial of ovarian cancer screening is the largest trial to date, enrolling over 200,000 women, to attempt to assess the effect of screening on ovarian cancer mortality. The trial compares two forms of screening. That's multimodal screening, which incorporates annual assessment of CA125, which is a marker of ovarian cancer that can be assessed in blood samples, followed by ultrasound for those deemed to be at risk. And the other form of screening was just ultrasound on its own. Indeed, Rob, and some encouraging-looking results here. The data presented here are the results of the initial prevalence screen of the trial, which assessed the sensitivity and specificity of the two screening techniques. Both methods identified a number of ovarian cancers at an early stage, with multimodal screening having a higher specificity than ultrasound alone resulting in fewer women undergoing repeat testing and surgery. The results suggest that both methods are are feasible on a large scale. And what about the next steps? Well, these are only the preliminary data from the trial, and we need to wait for the mortality data from both of the screening arms, and also from the control arm of the trial, to be able to fully assess the effects of screening on mortality. Furthermore, we need to determine whether the screening itself is actually going to be cost-effective. The cost of the screening is as yet unknown, since the algorithm used to assess the risk from CA125 is currently under patent and not available to the public at present. And finally, we have to wish happy birthday to the National uh, Institute of Clinical Excellence, or Health and Clinical Excellence, it's now called, isn't it? NICE. A short review about NICE. Can you summarise what we're talking about here? With cost an ever more important factor in healthcare, the role of NICE is increasingly seen as a template that other countries could follow. The piece in this month's issue by Peter Littlejohns and colleagues marks the 10th anniversary of the agency and summarises its achievements in, in oncology during that period, and also discusses some of the more controversial aspects of the agency, which are also highlighted in a link comment by Richard Sainsbury. Great. Well, thank you very much, Rob. Those are some of the highlights from the April 2009 issue of The Lancet Oncology. We'll be back next month.